Good morning and welcome to Southfield. I'm glad you're here today to worship with us in this place. Would you please stand as we sing praises and enter the throne room of our God? Let's sing together. Great are you, Lord, mighty in strength. You are give God a praise offering with your hands. Well, it's awesome to serve such a marvelous God. And there are times when he answers a prayer and you're just so excited about his goodness and his greatness that you can't withhold anything. You just want to let it out. And I just ask you this morning, if you just remember that, just hopefully you were able to bottle that feeling if you could, or just remember the time where God answered that prayer that you've been praying for a long time, or God worked in a way you didn't expect him to, or he surprised you with a blessing you weren't expecting. Um, take that, 
that excitement that you had for the greatness of our God and praise him this morning with that same excitement because he's the same God as he was when he answered your prayer. This morning, we're going to start a new series in Corinthians, and there's such a um, similarity between the, the town of Corinth 
and where we're living today, as Dennis had said last week. And so as we prepare ourselves to receive the words that God has for us to hear today, it's your chance right now to prime your souls, to be ready for all that he's going to speak to you. Not just today or this morning, but throughout the entire week. So make this your prayer. Here I am, down on my knees again, surrendering all, surrendering all. Find me here, Lord, as you draw me near, desperate for you. Desperate for you, I surrender. Drench my soul is mercy and grace unfold I hunger and thirst I hunger and thirst with arms stretched wide I know you hear my cry speak to me now speak to me rushing wind.
Father, you've heard our prayer this morning. You know our hearts. Stir up something inside us for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, I'm Dennis. It's good to see you today. As you came walking in, you were handed not a a bulletin, but a folder. It's a catalog of the small group offerings that are going to be uh, available for you this spring semester. All kinds of great opportunities to jump in, make some relationships, learn more about God. One of the groups got started yesterday. It's our boot camp. And you can tell, I mean, there's a great crowd that came out for this. You can tell who they are. They're walking around today looking something, doing an imitation of a Neanderthal, kind of haunched and walking slow. I hope I drop nothing today. I will not be able to pick it up. You know, just, and the funny part is it was a really easy workout. I just can't believe how achy you can be after one day. But make sure you take t- the time during the week to look at those options, the opportunities for growth, and then you can go ahead and sign up right online and, and hook up with the, with the group that you want. On the inside of that catalog, there's a card. Love for you to pull this out. I need, I need you to do that for a couple of reasons. If you'd, if you'd pull that out and put your name on it and a way to contact you, that would be very helpful. And then on the back side, there's a, there's a little box off to the right. I want to offer you two opportunities, ways that you could get involved in, in serving this coming year. Uh, one, on Sunday mornings, you know that if you're a part of a service, we have people that are involved in collecting the offering and distributing communion. And it's a way that you could get involved in serving. It's not horribly complicated, although I have to admit, every time I've done it, somehow I've messed it up. But for the average person, it's really easy. I'm just exceptionally unaverage when it comes to this thing. So uh, if you want to get involved in that, check that off and we'll contact you about that. The other, as you walk in on Sunday morning, you see kind of this, this big white plastic sign. In fact, some of you have seen it because your kids like to come in and, and go under it as they're coming into church. We got four more of those, four new ones uh, that just have the name of the church, the time, and the place that we meet. And what we'd like to do is start placing those a little bit more strategically throughout the community um, on, on the weekends. And what we're looking for is four people who would be willing for a month to place that somewhere in uh, a traffic area in their neighborhood. Now, if you live on a dead-end street, we're not looking for you to put it in front of your house. You know, you want to take it out to a corner where it'll get a little bit more visibility. But looking at doing it for a month, and then we'll pass it on to another place and just kind of keep them wandering a bit throughout the community. And by community, I'm not just saying Shanahan or Manuka. If you want to take it to Joliet or whatever, it has clearly where we meet and the 
the times, and so uh, we can go ahead and get the word out a little bit better that way. The main thing you'll want to do as you're leaving today, if, if you're interested in doing that, it would be great. You'll want to check and see if you can pick it up. It's a little bit weighted. It's got some sand in the bottom. So just make sure, I mean, if you've got back issues going or something like that, you may not want to be the one involved in that. But this gives you a chance to do something that will be really helpful in getting the word out about Southfield. thing you've got to know, at least for Shanahan, uh, they don't want the sign out before Friday night, and it's got to be taken in by Sunday night. Monday morning, they haul it away. So you'll need to make sure that you're available during those times in order to be able to do that. Okay, so we're going to go back to last week, and I owe you a little bit of an explanation of something that happened last week. Last week, I'm talking about ways to study the Bible, and I was talking about the unique nature of the Bible and the fact that, you know, you don't have to start at page one. You can start anywhere in the book. And I even said, some people do this method they call the flop and drop. And they just let their Bible flop open to wherever and they start to read. And I don't particularly recommend that because it's, a, you know, it's um, not very systematic. And I flopped my, my Bible open. All of a sudden, I'm monstrously distracted. And the distraction was this. It's a picture of a slostronaut. A slostronaut is a very interesting creature. Apparently has made it back to to space and back on the shuttle. I don't know. But anyway, my son, Brian, one morning decided to have some fun. And so the night before, we had gone to bed, I don't know, fairly early, like 11 o'clock. He decided to go ahead and make all kinds of pictures of this slostronaut and put it everywhere in the house. So it, all, the, all the pictures that I have down in my office are replaced with the Slostronos image. He's on coasters. He's in the fish tank. He's everywhere. Everywhere I turn, there's this grinning little Slostronos looking back at me. But the part that made it really funny is that I went downstairs and worked for an hour and didn't see one of them. Here I am telling people they need to live an attentive life. And uh, I'm you know, lost in space. So Kim comes down about an hour later and she just bursts out laughing. I'm like, what's going on? She said, look at the picture. I'm like, oh, that's funny. And before you know it, looking and this picture is like all over my room. And then I look on Facebook and my Facebook image has been replaced with a slostronaut. And the home screen on my phone has been replaced with a slostronaut. And now I feel this need to explain to the world what's going on because Dennis doesn't just put, you know, cute little animals as his Facebook image every once in a while. It's not my style. So I have to explain to people what happened. So, so the thing that happened last week when I flopped this open and I kind of am totally taken off guard. What is this? I couldn't even, I was so rattled I couldn't remember its name. I think I just called it a weasel. But anyway, um, half the room's cracking up and half the room thinks I'm, I've lost my mind and they're trying to figure out what's going on. So I just thought it was kind of fair today to catch everyone up and let you know what happened so you don't think there was some inside joke going on and you were left out. Now you're all in on it. Look at him one last time. That's what a slostronaut looks like. Look at the grin. Isn't that the cutest little? I didn't know sloth smile. Has his hand there on the helmet. Ever so official. Okay, we can get on to real business. Next slide, please. Last week, we started a new course for our Sunday morning studies. Uh, we're headed into a single book of the Bible. We're going to, we're going to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to spend some time there. Uh, right now, there are a lot of people in church that are doing this reading program, getting through um, the New Testament in 89 days, 
and learning more about what's written in the New Testament. I decided to do a dry run of that last fall before I you know, asked other people to join in on it. And when I came to the book of 1 Corinthians, I was captivated by it. I could not put it down. And, and I was struck primarily by just how the, the timelessness of the message and the way in which it applied so clearly uh, to where we live in our country at this time. So when I read this last October, I started praying and asking God, God, is this, is this where we're supposed to go next? Is this what you want us to hear from you? One of the things, as I said last week, that is a, a little different for us. Normally, we've, we've kind of looked at a topic for about a month, looked at a book for about a month, and then moved on. This time, we're just we're settling in for a season. We're going to spend some time here. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, in, in 2015, we'll finally be to chapter 3 or something like that. It, it'll keep moving along, but we'll probably be here throughout the spring learning what's going on in this book. So the way we're going to start today is the way you should start if you were going to study a book of the Bible. I mean, it's good to just start reading, but to be honest, sometimes it's, it's hard to know what you're reading if you don't know something about the book, if you don't know something about who wrote it, if you don't know something about who it was written to. So I don't know if you just found a random letter from somebody and started reading it, you go, hmm, this is interesting. And you might find some things that are, that are appealing there. But when you get to know the characters involved in the story and when you get to know what's going on in their life, then all of a sudden you go, wow, this letter makes a lot of sense. So we're going to spend some time just laying the backdrop for the book today. One of the ways you could actually do this, if you have a study Bible, um, this one's the New Living Translation Study Bible. Normally, the first couple of pages of a book or a letter in the Bible begin with some pages like this. It's just pages of explanation. And a lot of us, when we come to these, we skip over them and we just start reading. Well, if you would even just take the time this week, if you've got a study Bible, you can find them online as well, to just read through this. This will give you some good background on what's happening in the book. So let's go ahead and dive in. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Let's open the letter and begin. And it starts by saying, this letter is from Paul. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. If you were to open or unroll, really, an ancient letter, you would find this to be the standard greeting of every letter. Someday when archaeologists are looking at our times 2,000 years from now and they come across a stack of your mail, they'll see that the mail generally begins with a date and then a dear so-and-so and a comma or a colon and then there's a body and then it's signed at the end, sincerely, whoever wrote the letter to you. There's a standard format for ancient letters. Now, an ancient letter is written not on a piece of paper and put in an envelope, but it's written on a scroll. So if you're receiving a scroll, and in this case, a rather lengthy scroll, you don't want to wait all the way to the end to find out, sincerely, Paul. You want to know who this letter is coming from. And so an ancient letter on a scroll would actually start 
with the greeting rather than having at the very end the signature of who the letter came from. And the format was pretty standard. You'd have the name of the author or the sender and their credentials. Who are they? Why is it important to hear from them? Then you would have the name of the recipient and generally some compliment to the recipient, something nice about them, something that the author appreciated was included there. And then generally you would have a a wish of well-being. This is a standard formula, not just of the Bible letters, but of really any epistle, any letter from ancient times. So we're just going to go ahead and break this down. We start with the author and his credentials. The Bible says it's Paul chosen by the will of by God's will as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Right from the start he's not just establishing his identity, but he's establishing his authority. Some of the people in the church are actually they're questioning his authority. Why should we listen to Paul? Why is it important to listen to anything this guy has to say? And truthfully, there are a lot of people in modern times who question the authority of Paul. Why in the world should we listen to anything this guy has to say? And so Paul, from the start, lets us know why we should listen to him. He said uh, he's an apostle. He didn't decide to be an apostle. God willed it that he be an apostle. He didn't go to, you know, career day there in his high school and, oh, apostle, that sounds like a neat job. But God actually called him to this role. He's a messenger and a representative of Christ Jesus. So the message from him is not a message from Paul about Paul, but it truly is a message from God, a message from Jesus about Jesus to them and to us. In passing, in this introduction, he mentions a man named Sosthenes. I don't know if you remember Sosthenes from your reading this past week in Acts chapter 18. You remember that Paul goes to Corinth and things are going well, and then he gets dragged into court because the Jews are ticked off that he's preaching against what they believe. And the, 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 uh, the judge throws the case out of court. But here you have these people that are amped up and ramped up. And they got to kind of expend their energy. And so what do they do? They beat up poor Sosthenes. They take him right there and beat him in front of the judge. Well, it turns out now that Sosthenes has actually become a traveling companion of Paul. Because Paul goes from Corinth in chapter 18 of Acts, and in chapter 19, he heads over to Ephesus. He spends 18 months in Corinth and three years in Ephesus. So a total of almost five years just between two cities. Next in the opening is the name of the recipient and the compliments given to the recipients. He says, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. This is not a letter written to an individual, but it's written to a group. It's written to a church in the ancient city of Corinth. There are some things you need to know about the town. And when you know these things about the town, I promise you that you will start reading the verses of 1 Corinthians in a very different way than you did before you knew about them. So this is, this is kind of where we're going to land for the rest of our time this morning. Just as an aside, uh, Corinth is not a, a, a small town even by modern standards. By, by ancient standards, it's a very large town. You have about 200,000 free citizens plus another 400,000 slaves. This is a city that's bigger than St. Louis. It's a large city by our standards, but by ancient standards, it's a huge city. 
It was destroyed by Rome in 146 BC. They leveled it. And then the Romans had this habit. They'd level a place and then they'd rebuild it and they would populate it with people they wanted there. They populated Corinth with slaves. So we have a a Greek town under Roman rule that has an influx of Hebrew people. Or in other words, it's intensely multicultural by the time Paul shows up. The second thing you need to know is it served as a chief city of Greece. It was a very important city to that country. Now, like most important cities, it was located on water. If you study the the history of a lot of uh, great cities in the world, they're located on some body of water. That was very important for commerce, and it was the same for Corinth. Corinth is located on the Corinthian Isthmus. So in your car later, when you get in, 10 times really fast, say Corinthian Isthmus. It's a lot of fun. Anyway, an Isthmus, you remember, is a narrow strip of land that connects two large bodies of land. So up to the right there, that's Greece. And then down to the bottom is an area of Greece that would be an island, if not for this little Isthmus that connects them. Even looking at this land, we learn an important lesson. I don't want you to miss this. The Holy Spirit was very strategic in the spreading of the gospel. He doesn't send Paul off to some, you know, country church in northern Minnesota where there are three people and nobody around and say, start preaching the gospel. He sends him instead to the middle of the action. I mean, if you look at this isthmus, You had travel going on between the bodies of water across the land. They would actually, in the winter, drag ships from one body of water to the other rather than going all the way around the land. So you have traffic going across the isthmus. And then you have traffic going north and south from the mainland down to the the southern part of the country and back up. There's a lot of traffic going on here. And it's there that the Spirit says to Paul... Here's where you're going to plant. Here's where you're going to spread out the gospel. Because from here, you're not just going to be talking to the locals, but you're going to be talking to travelers. You're going to be talking to merchants. You're going to be talking to all kinds of people who once they hear the gospel, once they believe the gospel, they're going to be spreading this word of God to the ends of the earth. Incredibly strategic. Now, there are a couple of things here I want you to see. There's a canal in modern days that cuts the isthmus in half. Cuts right through the middle. Hard to see here. You can go home today. This is a Google image. This isn't, you know, a drawing from Paul or something. You go home, uh, Google Corinth, Greece, and you get this image of Corinth. And And if you zero in, you can see that there's a line slicing that image, right? Isthmus right down the middle. So now you can take ships from one side to the other. In ancient days, that was a road. A road, as I said, that was paved well enough that they could roll small ships from one body of water to the other. So it cuts it in half. Now, looking at that image, just below the box, a circle is going to come up. You see that white area right there that if you're looking at it without really knowing what's going on, you may think there are snow-capped mountains there or something. That's actually a city on that little bump there on the land. That's the city of modern Corinth. That's where they're located. And when you look at the modern city, uh, it's, it's a lot like any city. Again, it grew up on the water. That's where it's going to happen. Because of commerce, that's where you're going to find a city. 
Now, we Americans, we're not great with our geography. I mean, if I asked you where, where Joliet is, you'd probably be able to find that. But there are some obscure places in the country that you'd probably be a little lost and forget the rest of the world. Now, I want you to see where uh, Corinth is located, actually, in its greater region. So, again, this is just a, a Google image. You see the, the A there, that standard Google A. That's where Corinth is located. You see Italy off to the one side. The body of land that, that is on the other side is Turkey. And right there in the middle, you see that, that Corinth is part of Greece. You see that larger body of land down below and Greece to the top and then Corinth right in the middle on that isthmus. There's another dot on the map as well as a circle. And they have that there to show you that that's where ancient Ephesus was located. So when Paul is done in Corinth after 18 months, he gets in a ship and he sails over to Ephesus and spends three years over there. So basically what what we have here, you can see that, that Paul... He's in fairly close proximity still uh, to Corinth. It it is quite likely that he's getting news from Corinth. He's hearing from Corinth. As people are traveling up and back, uh, he's he's not lost lost touch with the people from that town. Now, I I want you to go back to the larger map again. And again, this is that, that image that we saw before, and now we've zeroed in. So at the top right, You see a a dot there. That's where the modern city of Corinth is located. But this is the case with a lot of modern cities with an ancient history. Very often, the modern city is not built on where the ancient city was located. So actually, as you go across the map, you find the A right down here. And that's where the ancient city of Corinth is located. Now, it's, it's not as close to the water as the modern city. And you know, what's going on there? You know, cities built around water. Yes, they built around water. There's also something, that a lot, something others that a lot of cities built around. They built around their religion. They built around objects that they saw as sacred. And for the Corinthians, uh, they, had, they had a sacred object. If you look below that A, almost directly below and a little bit to the left, you see kind of a a circle there, and that's actually a mountain. There's a mountain right there that is just below the ancient city of Corinth. This mountain helps to define the city, and it brings us to the next point about the town, and that is this. It's a center for ancient Greek religion. Ancient Greek religion had strong influence in the city of Corinth. The mountain here is called the Acropolis of Corinth, or it's also called the Acrocorinth. So if you were coming up by ship, you would see this great plain, and then just beyond the great plain, you'd see this this bump of a mountain coming out of nowhere, 1,800 feet high. And at the top, you could tell that there was a temple, a temple built at the very top of the mountain. Uh, I want to give you a view from the top as well. I want to take a peek. That's one direction you're looking out and you're looking to the sea. The other direction you're looking out and you're looking toward the land. I don't know these people. See, this is what happens when you Facebook your vacation. Suddenly some obscure pastor in the middle of Illinois is flashing your image up on the screen on a Sunday morning. The advantage for us, if you go today 
on Google and just type in ancient Corinth, you are going to find tons of images that people have taken of that area. And I'm telling you, just, just looking at the pictures, I mean, I know most of us, we mock people who, you know, you just want to read the pictures. You don't want to read the words. Looking at the pictures helps you to start to grasp what this place was all about. I mean, if you're looking at this town, you see this monstrous mountain. You start to realize this place, this mountain influences these people. So I said at the top of the mountain, and this is uh, the people are actually standing on the foundation of this. The top of the mountain, there's a temple there to the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Do you remember anything about Aphrodite? She's the Greek goddess of love, beauty, pleasure, and procreation, or making babies. That, that's, that's, she's the Greek goddess of love. Part of temple worship, an essential part of temple worship, in the temple of Aphrodite was prostitution. They actually believed that you worshipped Aphrodite by uniting with a prostitute. I mean, so anyway, there were about a thousand temple prostitutes. A thousand temple prostitutes. Um, uh, I saw one writer that put these two words together, and I'm still having a hard time putting my mind around it. Sacred prostitutes serviced the sanctuary of Aphrodite, perched on top of this 1,800-foot-high Acrocorinth. There's a four-mile hike to get to the top of the mountain. And people coming in on ships didn't mind taking the hike because they knew what they were coming to get at the top. Because of these women, the city was crowded with people looking for sex. And also because of these women, it was a very wealthy city. It was known for a ship's captain to come and freely squander all of his profits on temple prostitutes. And then one would suspect, of course, that a lot of people didn't want to make that four-mile climb. And before you know it, that prostitution came down into the city as well. This town was marked. It was marked by corrupt sexual activities. It was just it was horrible. So we have this place, a center for, for Greek worship, uh, horrible worship. And then on top of that, there are 12 other temples to other Greek gods. So everywhere a person turns, there's someone that they can go to worship one of their ancient gods. It's a, the Corinth is a center for open and unbridled immorality. It's all around. This town was so immoral that a Greek term is coined using their name. It was to Corinthianize. To Corinthianize meant to act like a Corinthian. And what were they saying? To practice sexual immorality. The town name was known. If you were, if you were being referred to as you're acting like a Corinthian, you were just, uh, you know, girls, boys gone wild. It was bad news. Now I want you to stop for a moment and think. This gives you an idea of the setting. These people are obsessed with sex. They're obsessed with prostitution. They believe that their gods teach that you should commit, uh, commit, have sex with a prostitute in order to worship a god. I don't know how much you know about 1 Corinthians. Maybe you've never read it. But it is probable that you've at least heard part of it. You've been sitting at a wedding and you've heard something like this. 
Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice over injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful, always endures in every circumstance. I hope you're trying to understand that Paul did not write 1 Corinthians 13 so a preacher would have something pretty to say at your wedding. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13 because when he'd asked the Corinthian people, what is love, they'd point to that mountain. And he'd have to say, no, having sex with a prostitute is not love. Love isn't hooking up with a hooker. Get a clue. And so he's having to go back and redefine for them something as fundamental as love because the idea of it had been completely tarnished and destroyed. Every chapter is like this. Every chapter is a response to something that confused the Corinthians. And in fact, if there's one word that you could use to describe these people, they were confused. Uh, Every definition had been thrown out and messed up. And by the way, we're not talking about him talking to the the pagan people of the town. He's talking to the church. And the people in the church didn't even know how to define love anymore because of the influence of their culture. There's one more thing you need to know about Corinth. Corinth wasn't Athens. Uh, Athens is to Greece what, you know, Champaign-Urbana or Bloomington Normal is to Illinois. Uh, Athens was a center of education. Corinth was not. But please don't write them off now as a bunch of, you know, dumb hillbillies or something. They, they, they loved knowledge. They were Greek. They were into philosophy. They were into thinking. And, and the thing that's kind of sad is they loved arguing ideas even though they weren't committed to them. They just, they got into the battle, but they weren't necessarily saying that's what I believe. They placed a high premium on an exchange of ideas. So Corinth is a large chief city of Greece that is a center of immoral religious practices and endless philosophical debate. And that's what Paul walks into. That's the town he walks into in Acts chapter 18. Now, when Paul walks into a town and starts to preach, he normally goes to a synagogue. And we actually have ruins, we have evidence of a synagogue in Corinth. Let me give you the first one. This is a door plate that would have been over the top of a door. There's Greek and carved, engraved on there. And I put the inscription so that you'd see what remains. Basically, the, the, the inscription would have said, Synagogue of the Hebrews. And this is, a, this is an inscription that's common, common throughout eastern cities. So you have this, this door, the, the door uh, header uh, from the synagogue. This is from probably the 5th or 6th century A.D. So it's a little bit past the time of Paul. Go to the next image. The next image is from the top of a Corinthian column. And you recognize the image on the front? You have three menorahs. These menorahs were part of the structure of the synagogue. And, and this is from the time of Paul. So it's, it's wild to look at this and think Paul walked through these doors and Paul would have seen these menorahs as he's walking into this synagogue lo- located at the southwestern gate of the city. Now, you may be wondering, you're in a Greek city. Why is there a synagogue in a Greek city? 
I mean, that just doesn't make sense. What in the world's going on there? Why were there Jews in Corinth? Well, verse 1 of Acts 18 gives us a clue. You read this this past week if you're reading with us. It said, then Paul left Athens. He went to Corinth. He meets two people, Priscilla and Aquila. Why are they in Corinth? It says, they had left Italy because Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. The Jewish people, it doesn't matter what century it is, someone's booting them. Someone's kicking them out. Someone's sending them somewhere else. These people were booted from Italy, and they were told to go somewhere else. And so many of them, again, because of a place of great travel, many of them had landed in Corinth. The Bible says that each Sabbath, Paul was found at the synagogue trying to convince Jews and Greeks alike of the gospel. And there he is. He's preaching away. The Bible tells us in Acts 18, he goes to the house of Titius Justice. And while he's there, he leads Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, to Christ. He leads his family to Christ. And a bunch of people in Corinth start uh, coming to Jesus and they're baptized. Verse 11 of Acts 18 tells us again that he stayed there for a year and a half. And then the rest of the chapter looks a lot like what happened to other churches. After they have success, then comes persecution. So you have a a season of, of, of just people coming to Jesus, followed by a season of hardship. Paul's dragged into court. The case gets thrown out of court. And we already saw this part. A man named Sosthenes, who was another leader of the synagogue, gets dragged before the people and they beat him. And ultimately, Sosthenes becomes Paul's traveling companion when he leaves Corinth and heads over to Ephesus. I hope you're starting to get an idea of the the backdrop, that this is all starting to pull together. You're starting to see the pieces, and it will start to help you to understand how to read the verses. You see, when Paul walked into Corinth, he faced a mountain, literally and figuratively. He walks into the city. He sees the mountain. He knows what's going on on top of that mountain. He knows the prostitution that's going on there. He knows the false worship that's going on there. And that mentality had crept throughout the mindset of all of the people of that area. Corinth was diverse and multicultural. It's dreadfully immoral. And it's open to everything, open to every idea, and yet in a way committed to none. Not a lot different than our own times. So we'll be moving through this chapter, this book in the next several uh, months. And as we do, I want you to consider a couple of assignments. Look at your card again right now. As you look at the card on the back side, there, there are a few things I'd like you to consider. The first one is this. You're going to do a little research project this week. Hey, it's junior high or high school or college all over again. Aren't you excited? And you're going to go to that, that wonderful site called Google, and you're going to type in ancient Corinth. And you're just going to look at the pictures. You don't even have to look at the words. Just look at images. Get familiar with the seas that are on either side. Get familiar with the topography. Start to look at it. It doesn't look like Illinois. It, it's got a different feel. And just look at people's vacation pictures. Get an idea of what that place looks like, what it's all about. So, so that's the first thing you commit to as a step this week. You're just going to kind of fill your mind with some knowledge. Get familiar with Corinth. The second one, maybe you'll grab your study Bible or go online and just read through the background of, of, of Corinthians. Get an idea of 
who Paul is, who the people are, and what's going on there. I gave you some this morning, but there's some details that, that I left out. I only have so much time, so go ahead and read that. The third one doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. It has to do with the book, the catalog you got again. Just saying, you know what, I'm going to make a commitment today. I'm going home, I'm looking at the catalog, and I'm going to choose a group that I'm going to be a part of. But here's the one I want you to really consider. You're going to try to memorize a verse during the time of this series. Now, this series is going to last a while, so you got some time, okay? It's not a two-weeker and we're done. you got some time. When I was reading through this area of the Bible last fall, I came across a couple of verses that I guess I just hadn't seen before, at least not seen before this way. And I loved them. I fell in love with them immediately. There are five commands. And I think the five commands really help us to know how we're supposed to be acting like Christians in our own Corinth. How do we act like people who are spreading the gospel in the face of the mountain that we face every day? So look at this verse. It's chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. Here's what it says. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. First four verses, boy, it's feeling kind of braveheart, isn't it? Be gone, be strong, you can do it. But then Paul brings in that, that absolutely unique Christian element. Everything you're doing, make sure it's covered with and flowing with love. I love the take Eugene Peterson puts on this verse in his version of the Bible called The Message. Here's what he writes. For be on guard, he says, keep your eyes open. It's hard to be on guard if you're falling asleep. Keep your eyes open. The next one, stand firm in the faith. Hold tight to your convictions. Boy, if that isn't a line that we all need to memorize and live. Whatever you believe, hold tight to your convictions. Don't let anybody, anybody deter you from what you believe. The next one, be courageous. He interprets it, give it all you've got. You know what the original word is there? Be a man. Be a man. And he was saying it to girls too. Be a man. Come on, buck up. Be courageous. Fourth, be strong. You be resolute. But I love the way he puts in do everything with love. And love without stopping. Never stop loving. So that's the fourth commitment you can make. That, you know, you're going to take some time to learn those verses. We'll say it together every week. And the cool part about that, eventually that drips into your brain. And before you know it, you're saying the verse and you didn't even try hard. Some of you, I say the word memorize. You go, I just can't do that. But you can quote Bears stats from 1946. How did you learn them? You probably didn't sit and read them in a book. It just dripped into your head. So we'll drip it and drip it and drip it. And eventually we'll get to know this verse. Let's talk to our God right now. Father. I'm grateful to you for the words that Paul wrote to the Corinthians and the fact that those same words are written to us. And the fact is that many of the circumstances that those people faced are the same in our own times. Uh, In fact, we will, in our own group, I'm sure, have people will look at this, this passage of Scripture and they'll question. They'll question its truthfulness. They'll question whether or not it can really be lived this way today. God, I pray that we would find ourselves living under the authority of what you say instead of thinking that we're the authority. Help us to believe the words that were written in this book and then to live them. Help us to be all Paul calls on us to be because we know it wasn't the call of Paul, but it's the call of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. When we come to 1 Corinthians 11, he's going to tell us how to take communion. And that was important too. 
Because even something as simple as the way to do communion had been distorted by the thinking of that time. One of the things he tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, every time you come to take communion, you should take some time to examine yourself. Examine yourself simply means take some time to look at your heart. I mean, are you right now living in a state of just known sin and you're saying, I'm not, I, there's no way I'm giving this up? Paul wants us to examine that and say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow God. I'm going to do what he wants. So during the time this morning that the cup and juice are coming to you and you're listening to the music and maybe even eventually singing along, would you take some time to examine your heart and make sure that it's a good, in a good place before God?
Culture influences the way we hear things. It's inevitable. I mean, it's just the way it works. So even as we're singing a song that uses the word freedom, we as Americans, you know, our mind immediately goes to patriotic freedom. We think about the freedom we have to worship, the freedom, all of those freedoms that come with being an American. And the song and the Bible are not talking about that kind of freedom at all. They're talking about really the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ to have power over sin. The freedom to be able to say no to ungodly habits. That's the freedom that we're singing about when we sing a song like that. So even something like that, just trying to give you an example of, you know, these Corinthians, their mindset was, it was just everything they heard was colored by their culture. The same thing happens for us. And so we have to do that little bit harder thinking sometimes to get beyond just the standard answer of the people of our times and really hear what God is saying. Servers are coming to come right now to collect the offering. You can go ahead and place your card in there, uh, place your offering in there as well. And as they do, uh, Brian's got an announcement about some of the group opportunities that are going to be available for students. And again, I want to encourage you to take that catalog this week, look it over, find at least one group that you're saying, I'm going to jump in on that. The nice thing about a lot of the groups this time, they're, you know, eight weeks. They're, the, the commitment uh, length is not really long. So it gives us some time to be able to jump in, get on a study, get to know some people and do some growing. And I'm sure all those groups are going to be great, but I'm going to shamelessly plug the two best groups out there, both with my name attached to them. Uh, the first is uh, gen- called Generation Change. It's a Dave Ramsey series. Uh, his daughter is actually the one who uh, does most of the videos for it. But it's for high school students, and we're looking to, to break the trend with the way that our generation spends money. I was lucky enough to be blessed with a mother who was so meticulous in making sure that I left college without debt that I now have, I graduated college in four years, zero debt. I have my car, I have a, I have a car that costs around nine grand paid off. <laughs> so I, without her, I would be sunk just like most of my friends who are now sitting with $120,000 in debt. She recommends this series. Oh, and by the way, if you want to... I didn't say that in the first service, so if any of you want to tell her that I said that, I'm sure, you know, I would just become even more of the favorite son. But 
But no, this is going to be a great series. Uh, I mean, she, my mom's gone through it and made sure that it, uh, it's a good thing. We're going to learn how to budget. We're going to learn how to uh, save for things like college, make sure that, you know, we're not just spending uh, on credit cards for the rest of our lives and burying ourselves in debt. The next is also another really cool event that in the first service I got in a lot of trouble for uh, calling the people who can't be involved old. Well, let me just say, instead of calling you old, I'm going to say that uh, for those of you with enough life experience to have used to have used words like groovy and funky on a regular basis, or to have seen shows like Speed Racer in their original form, not not as a as a rerun. I think that's that's a little bit better. But anyway, this is for junior high and high school students only. Um, but it's, it's called the 30-Hour Famine. It's run by a, a program called World Vision. And basically what they do is they get all these uh, kids around the country like us, like we're going to do at the warehouse, uh, to basically starve ourselves for 30 hours. That sounds crazy, especially for high school, uh, junior high and high school garbage disposals like I used to be. Uh, but we're giving up food for 30 hours so we can raise funds to send over to Africa for kids who don't have uh, food to eat every day. One dollar serves a kid or feeds a kid for a day, thirty for a month. You you can do the math. You know, not very complicated. And it's not like we're serving them a steak dinner. We're getting them basically really dirty oatmeal. But hey, it saves it saves their lives or it saves their lives. And it's a really cool event. Uh, it's going on February fifteenth uh, and sixteenth at the warehouse. We're going to be. Uh, if you want any more information, I've got it outside uh, at the booth right across from where our uh, guest table is. This link that you see down here at the bottom, ow.ly slash gqtc6. That link is on a sheet that I have out at the table. I want every one of you to come grab it uh, because that will bring you to this page. This is our home, our Southfield page for the 30-hour famine. If you are in junior high and high school, the, the younger crowd, you can come to this website. I've actually got my computer set up out here so you can join our team today if you plan on doing it. If you can't do it, um, then... You can still come to this page, and you can pick any, anyone that's on the team. You can click their name, and you can make a donation in, in their honor. Uh, you can do it anonymously if you'd like. You, you, can do, you, know, you can do it however you want. And if you want to make just a general donation to the team, you can do that as well. Uh, over here on the, where you see the thermometer, you can just hit make a gift, and you can make a gift to the group. That will be divided um, among the team evenly. Uh, so, yeah, sign up for that is outside. I'd encourage all the high school, junior high and high schoolers to do it. Parents, the really cool thing, even though you can't be with us because you're more experienced than we are, uh, <laughs> I still challenge you to do this with your kids. If you, if you have a kid who's nervous about doing it, doesn't want to do it, say, make the commitment to them that you will, you will starve yourself for 30 hours as well. You'll eat, so you'll eat breakfast that Friday morning, and then you'll go 30 straight hours, so until your kid gets home, and you will, you're going to stand by their side and say that, you know what, if you can do it, I can do it, uh, and we're going to make the world a better place. So that's all I got. That was a monstrously quick adjustment. I'll tell you, he used the word old about 49 times in the first announcement. I'm like... <laughs> I'm allowed to say that. I am old. But, you know, when you're a kid, you've got to act really polite. And he treated us with such I feel experienced now. Isn't that amazing? That's, that is groovy, I tell you. All right. Let's stand. And as we do, 
pray. Father God, I thank you so much for uh, just a great time with you today. And I pray that as we go throughout this week, you will keep on our minds the things that we've learned. And in some ways, some of the things we learned, we, we could say, wow, it felt kind of academic. It, it had a, there was a lot of, of, there were a lot of facts there. And yet facts are what our faith is founded upon. Our faith is not just founded on a feeling. It's not just founded on an emotion. Our faith is founded on the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And it's in those facts that we start to to really understand the truth. And when we understand the truth, our lives are transformed. And your word says, the truth sets us free. And so we're looking forward to the freedom that we can experience as we dive into your word and understand it better. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You have a great morning. We'll see you.